as I've been studying this, all I kept going through my mind is, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the needs of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling, he made all the darkness depart. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross, the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And chapter 9 of Acts means heaven came down, didn't it? In a very special way, um, we find ourselves in the middle of a church era. And here we're hearing Albania, how the Lord is growing his church and meeting the needs of his people. And that's what we're studying right back in the beginning. This is exactly what was happening. God was working. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit was given. And then we spent a, quite a bit of time this morning in uh, the background of Saul and all that he was. And he was something, wasn't he? I mean, you know, no wonder the Christians feared him. He was from Tarsus, which wasn't too terribly far from uh, Jerusalem, but uh, it was located in what we call the Hellenistic or the Greek-influenced world. In fact, Tarsus was considered little Athens because of the Greek influence in their philosophy and their language and their poetry and all of the, the background of the Greeks. Uh, he was a Pharisee, as you know, well taught in the Old Testament. He was taught by Gamaliel. He was very uh, up-to-date, so to speak, in the Old Testament. And yet he did not ever apply those principles of the Old Testament in, in fulfillment of the Messiah. And so the Messiah was rejected. Uh, he was a Roman citizen, and that came with a lot of privileges. Uh, it was uh, sought by many, many people, but he was, I thought I heard something fall, but I guess I didn't. Oh, I see, okay. Um, he was well taught. He knew the Old Testament scriptures, and he was actually acclaimed as a great teacher, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. His father was a Pharisee. He became a Pharisee. Uh, his zeal was unmatched. Uh, but most Jewish leaders were content with just being against the Christians. Paul was not. Paul wanted to go out after them. He not only took the ones in Jerusalem and, and worked against them, he went and got permission to go to Damascus. Now, Damascus was a week's journey. I mean, this wasn't let's just hop over to Tarzana this afternoon. You know, it was walking or going by mule or uh, donkey or horse, uh, a week's journey was going, they was going to take. So that's quite a bit of zeal in saying, I'm going to go all the way to Damascus and bring back those who follow the way. And we learned this morning uh, what that meant in that we were associated with Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, in the middle of all of that, persecution was very strong, as we know. Um, but God works through persecution. Uh, the church gets purified. People get serious about what they believe. They question their own hearts as to, where am I? What's happening? And that's what's really happening in our day and age today with the COVID. People are saying, what, what happens? What's the next step? And it makes them uncomfortable 
with their settledness. And so they reach out and look around and say, what's going on? Now, we don't have all the answers, but the Lord does. But a um, girl in my, in my group is from Egypt, and she was saying that there is persecution in Egypt. But the Christians are really excited because they're seeing Muslims turn their hearts from the Muslim religion to Christ. And that's exciting. I mean, when you're in the middle of it, yes, they're being persecuted, and their main persecution is they just disappear. If, they disagree, if you disagree with them or say anything the wrong way, you just kind of fall off the map. Nobody knows where you went. The authorities give you no information. You don't know where they are. They're just gone. But certainly that is persecution that requires, that produces fear in Christians. You know, well, if my son goes out and witnesses to somebody, will he just disappear? So we have to be aware that around the world, people are suffering for Christ. I just uh, saw on a, a website that I was looking at about persecution, persecuted Christians and this man loses a job. They won't give him a job because of his Christian faith. And therefore, his children are going, going hungry, and his wife is going hungry, and they don't have what they need, actually, because of their Christian faith. We need to pray for them because that's difficult to watch your little ones go hungry when all you need to say is, I don't believe in Jesus. But then, like dear Paul, was on his way to Damascus to rain terror upon the Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains, basically, to stand trial there. But God had different plans, didn't he? Right outside of Damascus, something happened that changed everything for Saul, for Paul, Saul at that time. A light from heaven, and it must have been something because it outshone the sun. Now, we all tell our kids from little on up, you don't look at the sun because it will damage your eyes because it's too bright for us to look at directly. Can you imagine something that stood so much brighter that it just, you know, terrified Paul? And what happened? He's on the ground. We don't know if he was on a donkey or if he was walking or just what, but he was on the ground. And he saw this thing, and in that light, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his introduction to Jesus. Now, he hated everybody, and he went against all of this, but we know in the New Testament, light is the symbol of truth and righteousness. The light shone from heaven. It's the same with each of us to be saved because the light has to shine into our hearts. It has to illuminate illuminate our spiritual eyes for us to come to understand. And that is a gift of God. Just like this happened to Saul, we all come to the Lord when he illuminates our hearts to the fact that we are sinners. And then um, we find that the New Testament talks about uh, standing with us. God stands with us. And Saul said to him, who are you? Now, that's a strange thing, but he said, who are you? What was the next word? Lord. He didn't know exactly who this was, 
but he knew it had power, and he knew it was greater than what he had been believing. And so he submitted to it, even though he didn't fully understand it all, but he said, who are you, Lord? And then I go back to the lessons that we can teach. You know, if someone that you love, if they're chosen by God, elected, they will be saved. It will happen. Oh, maybe not in your timing, but in God's timing. It will happen that they will, God will draw people to himself. And last week, um, Helen mentioned it, but I thought it was so interesting. In these chapters that we're studying, uh, chapter 8, we have an Ethiopian eunuch from the ends of the earth. In chapter 9, we have a Pharisee of the Pharisees, Saul, coming to the Lord. And then the next chapter, we see Peter being called to Cornelius, a Gentile. And God is spreading out, isn't he? Uh, He's spreading out in Albania, like she said, and he's spreading out here in the early church, including all different kinds of people saying, this gospel is for everyone. There's no one excluded, and we all have that privilege of hearing and knowing the gospel. Uh, In the gospel, salvation reveals the heart of God, doesn't it? It's because he loved us. He did not need to save us. There's a poem that I know, and it says, when man fell, Satan smiled and sat back and said, man is fallen, leave him there. But God came walking, love came walking, and love said, no, I'm going to make a way that they can come to me even though they have fallen and provided that way. And Saul asked, as I said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Uh, Did you get the point of how closely God associates himself with us? You know, uh, Scripture says, you have taken account of my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That comes from Psalm 56. For we do not have a high priest who cannot be uh, touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. That's Hebrews. And Isaiah puts it this way. Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distresses, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. That's you and me if we know the Lord. He's there no matter what. And as we mentioned, I love the imagery of the Lord Jesus Christ standing up when uh, Stephen was being killed. He was paying attention. He knew what was happening. And he stood there and gave that peace that passes all understanding, even to a man who was being stoned to death because God can do that in salvation. Uh, And then notice the instant submission, Lord. And then he asked, what do you want me to do? And I love that because can you imagine Saul? Everything had been shattered in Saul's life. What he believed, his goals, his purposes, everything had been shattered with this appearance of Jesus. And now he says, what do you want me to do? 
It could be just that heart of being willing to do whatever God sends to us, but it's also kind of a despair. It's like, now what, Lord? What do I do? My whole life has been spent in the wrong way. One of the great preachers of past times said, what a horrible thing to end up at the end of your life and know you've spent it on the wrong things. Isn't that, wouldn't that be horrible? I know my son, he was only 36 when he died, but he said, Mom, I've wasted my life. And because he'd always thought he had more time to do other things. And he didn't have the time, but he found it out at the very end. And I said, Todd, I think all of us will feel that way when we're on our deathbed. I could have done so much more. I could have done this. I could have done that. And it teaches us the fact that while we're here, do it. While we're here, do the things that God puts on your heart. Do the things that God leads you to do. Don't sit around and wait. I have time. You don't. As she said, I'm 81. I know I don't have much time. (laughs) So I live, but it helps me to realize that what God has given me now, the energy, the, the ability to do what I can do, I give to him and let him use that because I don't want to waste time, and I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. And so uh, everything in his life changed, and we see that verse, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And that truly happened in the life of Saul, Uh, and everything became new. Matthew Henry said, those whom Christ designs for the greatest honors are commonly first laid low. Those whom God will employ are first struck with the sense of their unworthiness to be employed. And this is what God did to Saul. He laid him low. Oh, he had much to be proud of. And he listed it, and we talked about it in our lesson today. Um, He was um, a Roman citizen. That was great a great honor in those days. Uh, People spent fortunes to buy that uh, citizenship. He didn't need to buy it. He was born into it. He was a privileged young man, and he had been taught and educated, which was another privilege in those days. But now God said, stop. And you know, uh, we had, uh, the Bible tells us that he was blinded, And he could not see, and therefore they had to lead him into Damascus. And they told him three days. The Lord told him three days he would be uh, facing that. I don't know why God did it that way, but I think it might have been, can you imagine those three days, no sight, and being having to face the eyes of your conscience as you saw the faces of men and women whom you had persecuted, whom you had pushed by physical torture and all other means to blaspheme God. And he had to face that in his conscience. Can you imagine what it was like to sit and think about, Lord, what have I done? And how in the world can I ever serve you enough to make up for how harshly I had dealt with you. The Lord took away Saul's sin. We know that. But 
in taking his sin, there was scar tissue left. Lots of scar tissue about what he had done and things that had been done to him back and forth. And you know, God works with even scar tissue. The story is told of a little boy who was a naughty little boy, kept getting in trouble of all kinds. And so his father finally said, I just don't know what to do to get this to stop, but we're going to take a nail and hammer it into the barn door every time you do something wrong. Well, it didn't take long till the barn door was filled up and he barely could find a spot to hammer a nail in. And he came to his dad and he said, the barn door is all full of nails and there's no more room. And so his dad said, well, let's change this around a little bit. Every time you do something right, we're going to take a nail out. Well, he got excited about this because this was fun. Instead of saying, I did something wrong, he's going, yay, I did something right. He was pulling out a nail. And pretty soon the time came when the barn door was clear of nails. And the little boy went to his father and said, Daddy, the barn door has no more nails. And the father said, well, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm so happy you did the right thing in so many times that we could pull out all the nails. He said, but daddy, look at the barn door. There's holes all over the barn door. And the daddy said, yes, but it's still a door and it still works as a door, so that's okay. And you know, ladies, many times there's things in our past that we look back and we would like to climb under that chair you're sitting on because we know we disobeyed God. We did everything, even against our right teaching of our parents. We disobeyed God in so many ways. We even made fun of other Christians, perhaps. Perhaps there's some ladies in this audience this morning who've had abortions, who now come to see what they've done, but you can't go back and fix it. We'll call it scar tissue. But don't let your scar tissue determine your future life. You know, Paul learned the secret to dealing with his scar tissue. And this is what he said. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Ladies, the past is the past, and let's put it in the past. Of course, we look back and think, oh, I wish I'd never done that. We look back and think, I wish I'd never said that. We look back and say, oh, how I hurt my mother or my father or my sister or my brother. I know of people who have been into drugs and led their younger brothers and sisters into drugs, and then they came out of it and became saved, but now they have to deal with the fact that their younger brother or sister is entrapped into that, and they took them there. But how do we get over that? We ask the Lord to forgive us, and then we go on. We put it in the past, and we say, Lord, it's there. I can't change it, but I can go on. C.S. Lewis said, we can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. 
And that's how we need to look at our scar tissue and the things that were there in the past that we cannot change. We wish we could, but we can't. And so we need to give them to God, ask his forgiveness, and then ask the Lord to help us go forward and strive for that price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And ladies, if you truly get into that, that sadness, that defeat, that depression will leave you because you've given it to God and you said, now I'm going to go forward. I'm going to make the ending count. I'm going to make my life count for the Lord. And I'm not going to let that scar tissue bind me up. You know, scar tissue does bind you up. Sometimes you get pain even from just the scar tissue pulling on the insides of you when something has been taken out in a surgery. But scar tissue will harm you. So be careful about it. He was three days in Damascus blind, not knowing the future. But God then came down and prepared both Ananias and Saul for what was coming next. Now, notice that he gave the revelation when he came to to, uh, Ananias and Ananias said, I love this. Here am I. Lord, here I'm at. Here I am. And then he gave him a really hard job. You're scared to death of this guy, which I understand, but I want you to go to him and minister to him. Now, probably the last thing in the world that Ananias wanted to do was minister to Saul. I mean, humanly, it was like, yeah, I'll minister to him, all right, you know. <laughs> but God said, this is what I want you to do. And he explained, and Ananias said to him, Lord, uh, are, are you sure? Do you know who this is? And God said, yeah, I know who he is. And I know what's happened to him. And I know you'll be safe. You need to go and do what I ask you to do. So he gave revelation to Ananias. And he also gave uh, revelation to Saul. You know, ladies, if God wants you to do something, he will give you the sense of leading you to that. You know, when I was back in college, several of the men tried this little trick. They'd come to a girl and say, God told me that you should marry me. And they'd come and said, do you really think? And God said, it's the will of God for me to marry him. Do you think I should do that? And I said, "Uh, what's God told you? Well, he hasn't told me anything yet. I said, "Uh uh-uh, then you be careful because nobody else can give you leading but the Lord. And if it's the Lord's will that you marry this man, then he'll tell you too. So don't worry about it, you know. But we have to be careful that somebody, because we can, you know, this is the, this is the hand of the apostasy, a hand of the occults. We think you should do this. Well, did God tell you to do it? Did the scripture teach you to do that? Or is this some man telling you, I think this is the good thing for you to do? Well, we want to listen to our godly leaders, but at the same time, God will tell us and confirm things for us if we're to go a path. So don't you marry a man who said, I think it's God's will for you, you know. Wait till God says it's, okay, it is my will for you. Go ahead. So we have to be careful. But Ananias, as I said, responded with, here am I. 
And his response, in spite of his fear, Ananias obeyed. And he went down. And you know something? God has the best GPS in the world. Uh, one day I was on a trip with my granddaughter and my daughter-in-law, and we were driving cross-country. And Shana said, I'm thirsty for some coffee. Let's find a Starbucks. And I said, great. So she gets her GPS out, and she's on her phone and figuring this all out. And we're driving across Nebraska. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And so she said, okay, it tells get off at this and get off at this and go. And we turned, and we were out in the middle of a field. And it said, you have arrived. And I said, so much for our wonderful GPS, you know. So I said, obviously, there's no Starbucks here, you know. Uh, but uh, so we had to be careful. But God has a perfect GPS. He knows where Saul was. He knows where you are. Uh, the story is told by John Bunyan that when he was in prison, uh, a Quaker friend came to him and he said, Brother John, uh, I, a friend John, they called him, uh, friend John, I have been to all the prisons in, in London looking for you and I finally found you. And he said, you weren't sent by the Lord because the Lord knows where I am. And he said, you would have come here first if you were sent by the Lord because he knows where I am. He knows exactly where Saul was, the name of the street, whose house it was, the whole thing. He knows you're sitting here this morning. He knows where you live. He's better than any tracker, you know. He knows all about you. But at the same time, what a wonderful peace that brings that he knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm facing today. He knows the difficult things I'm ha having to handle. And so um, we see that God is a friend to that person. And, you know, a few weeks ago, Donna, uh, Donna was telling us that she doesn't know where her sister is necessarily. Madonna, where are you? I see you, but I know you're There you are. She doesn't know where her sister is because she's homeless, and, but God knows. God knows where she is. God knows where every person on the face of the earth is, and you have unsaved loved ones, and we pray for God knows where they are, and we keep praying that God will bring them to himself, but they're not lost. And I know when John MacArthur's mother passed away and Someone said, I'm so sorry you lost your mother. He said, she's not lost. I know exactly where she is, you know. And so we have to be careful with that word because uh, we're not lost. And so um, we see then after he came to know the Lord, uh, God had a special place for him, and we don't know why, but God took him off soon after his, his uh, conversion to Arabia. Now, I don't know why he sent him to Arabia. The Lord doesn't explain it to us. It's not even mentioned in, in this passage. Uh, but between verses, I think, 23 and 24, he went to Arabia. So then these other things happened when he got back. So there was a span of time in there. But probably because he was sent to Arabia to people that were very foreign to him because he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And God perhaps was using this time to repair him. But he still went back to work. He had a new master. He had a new life. He had a new mission. And how good of God to give us something to do when we have 
prostrated ourselves before God and said, Lord, I'm just worth nothing. And I have nothing good. By the old song says, nothing in my hands I bring. Because we have nothing to offer God. And how good of him to say, okay, Evie, I have a job for you. Okay, Carol, I have a job for you. Okay, Lynn, I have a job for you. And then he gives us something to do to glorify him and bring others to himself. Okay, we see the, the persecution then comes. And we see uh, my old mentor, Dr. Bob Sr., used to say, um, when anything moves, it creates fr- friction. And so you move in, the, in your Christian life, in your Christian walk, you're creating friction. And it will be against you as far as a Christian. You know, from all the way back to the, from Ishmael and Isaac, the, the son of flesh persecuted the son of promise. Remember? That battle has been going on and will go on until the Lord comes back. The world, the, the flesh, and the devil are always going to fight against the truth and God's way and God's will. And, and the, the desire of people to come to the Lord. He's going to battle that. Why? Because he is a liar and he is wanting people to be lost. That's his greatest delight. Man has fallen, leave him there. That's his delight. And if he can't keep you from coming to the Lord as Savior, he will try his best to keep you from being effective in your Christian walk, being effective in other ways. So now we see in the persecution, the hunter, Saul, became the hunted. The the Christians were afraid of him. And the Jews hated him. So he was in kind of a mess. mess. <laughs> and he started preaching, though. And slowly, the Christians began to see, he, this is real. This is, he really believes this. And he, underst- and he undertook and went through punishment and persecution for his faith. And so slowly by slowly, um, he was rescued from death. And God took care of him. Um, God protects his servants until their work is done. It's almost like you have a, um, you're incorruptible, you're in, you're, what do you call it? Invincible, right. Nothing can hurt you. Nothing. Uh, just on the elevator today, someone said, well, if I die of COVID, I die of COVID. I'm going to die of something, you know, I don't know where it's coming from, but, you know. We're not trying to be nonchalant about that in that it's not something we take seriously. But death is certain for all of us. I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's it's kind of in the book here. We all die. Uh, and we die, of, well, I die of different things, but we will die from what God has planned for us. And it's all settled. The day I die is settled in heaven. And I remember after our son died, my husband said, what if we had done this treatment? Or what if we had done? And I said, hun, God knew April 3rd, 2003 was the day our son was going to die. He knew that when he was born. And I said, 
we could not have changed that no matter what we did. Because you want to beat yourself up. You think, well, if I could have done something else, I could have done this or I could have done that. And, but God is good. He says, no, it was my doing, not yours. On the day he was born and on the day he came home to heaven. But in the midst of persecution, ladies, Saul found this true, Paul found this true. Christians around the world have found this true. Ezekiel, and I just read it this morning again in my devotions, he speaks of a sanctuary in the midst of their captivity. When they were all hauled off to Babylon, God said, though I have removed them far away among the nations, and though I have scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. In the midst of the darkest hardest day of your life, God will make you a little sanctuary that you can go in and be protected from the, the blasts of Satan around you, from the normal, natural things of heartache. We all go through it, but God does that. And we can go into that little sanctuary with him and meet him and say, God, I can't do this. And he says, that's okay, I can. And many, many times in our lives we go, I can't do this, Lord. But then he stands there in that little sanctuary and says, yes, I can. And I just spoke to one of my friends on the phone the other night, and she was having trouble with a certain thing. And I I said, get your Bible and go into a place that's quiet. And I said, you stay there until God gives you something that cheers your heart. And tell God, I'm so upset. The night that our son was hit by a car when he was seven, I did that. I couldn't go to sleep because the, you know, the tire, the squealing of the tires, the brakes of the car, I heard. And, you know, I, I heard that and, I, and then I didn't hear anything else. And I thought, okay, everything's okay. My boys were out front playing. And by that, the, the front door flew open and my older son said, Mama, Todd's been hit. And uh, I went running out. Uh, but I, when I tried to sleep that night, all that came back. You know, I would rehear those tires squealing, and I would rehear Troy calling me, and Mama Todd's been hit, and all these things. And I, I just couldn't sleep. It would just wake me up. And, and so finally I sat up in bed, and, and my husband said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. But I said, I can't sleep. He said, neither can I. So I said, well, I'm going to turn the light on if you don't mind. And I opened the Bible, and I started it. Now, I don't know why in the world I went to Second Chronicles, but, you know, <laughs> the last place in the world I would probably go now, but I, that's where I went. And God gave me, and I said, God, I, I can't do this. I need you. And he gave me something. And it actually fits in with one, it looks like Saul in some ways, because if I say the word Manasseh to you, what do you think of? Wicked king, right? And he was a very wicked king. But God had him hauled off into Babylon. And guess what? In there, the Lord opened his eyes. And it says in First Chronicles 33, Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And all of a sudden, things opened up to Manasseh. And he got to, got, brought him back to Jerusalem. 
And he went about trying to fix all the things that he had done evil against the Lord in his lifetime. Now, he didn't get to change people's hearts back. He had drawn them into idolatry, and they stayed there for the most part. But he tried. But Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. When you know that, that the Lord is God, he's in control, he knows tomorrow what tomorrow's going to bring, and he knows what yesterday brought, and he knows the future, and you can relax in that. Ask God to give you what you need to get through those times of persecution, of hardship, of trials. And God will, because he's promised to be our comforter. And he will give you what you need to get through. You just don't stay there long enough with it. Stay in his word, because that's where your help comes. And so that little bubble... (laughs) so to speak, of God's sanctuary in the midst of trial. My aunt lived until she was, I'll be finished in a minute. (laughs) My aunt lived till she was 95. And the last few years of her life was in a little room in a convalescent place uh, back in Pennsylvania. And she had this little wardrobe and she had her little chair and she had a little stand where she grew flowers and her bed. And that's it. And She was a believer, and so I would visit her whenever I got to go back east to see my family in North Carolina, and I would uh, drive up to Pennsylvania to see her. And one day I said, Aunt Jerry, I said, what are your devotions like? And she said, Evie, it's wonderful. She said, I meet with the Lord every morning, and it's just beautiful. I love it so much. And she said, I'm so happy. And I thought, Look at what she has materially. There's nothing to be happy about here, you know, but uh, except that the Lord was taking care of her. And yet she had so little of what the world would call contentment or satisfaction or wealth, but she was wealthy before the Lord. And she knew that little sanctuary that God provided for her in her trials. And lastly, I'll tell you a friend of mine um, who was lost her husband. And in the, you know, those of us who've done that, you know what that is like in the next couple months afterwards, that loneliness, kind of finding a place where you fit and where you can serve and all of that. And uh, she had some time in the morning. She went to a meeting and then she had to go to a basketball game for her one of her grandsons. And so she had a couple hours in between. And she said, Evie, I called. And she said, I said, I'm going to have lunch with Jesus. And she said, I went to a restaurant and I ordered. And she said, that whole lunch I spent thinking about my husband and the joys he's experiencing in heaven of what he's going through and what I'm going to go through when I get there too, of what heaven is like. And she said, it was a wonderful lunch. And I said, you know, that's a good idea. When you're down, you have, go have lunch with Jesus and spend some time talking to him and seeking to make your life meaningful to him. We want our lives to be of essence, to mean something. When we're gone, that somebody can say, she pushed me in the right direction. 
she gave me, uh, she prayed for me, even that alone, that we are helping the kingdom of God step forward. We are talking to others about the Lord. Okay, and then we very quickly, we move on to Peter, and we see Peter now in the last part of this chapter, and he's healing the a paralysis man, and he's raising the dead. Uh, and we see Dorcas, and I was going to spend quite a bit of time on Dorcas, but I don't have the time. So, But anyway, I love her story in that she did what she could. She could sew, and so she did that. And she made and was a blessing to other people. The jacket I have on this morning was given to me by somebody who blessed me by giving me something. She, she got thinner, so I, <laughs> so I bless her for getting thinner, but I love it. <laughs> so she's blessing me by giving to me. And Dorcas made things and gave them to people. Um, if you find somebody who's not willing to take your to hand-me-downs, find somebody who will be thankful for them. <laughs> but anyway, we have to be, if she did what God wanted her to do, what she could do, she did. And sometimes you, we just look at our lives and say, well, Lord, I can't go out and preach. I can't do this. I can't do that. But I can do this. Do it for the Lord. Do it for the Lord. And so we see um, God will demonstrate that same power that he used in healing the paralytic and in raising Dorcas from the dead. He uses that same power through our lives if we will submit to him in contentment. If we show the world that the Lord is con content, that we are content in the Lord, and we have to be thankful. Being thankful is a very great um, blessing when someone else is thankful, even though they might not have a lot when they become thankful. Uh, it helps us a lot. Humility, we show the Lord our, his power in our humility, in our faithfulness, and also in our availability. Are we available to do what God wants us to do? When he puts something on your heart, he puts a person on your heart, pick up the phone, write him a note. Be available to be that encouragement. Be available to run by, and we, with COVID, we're all kind of mixed up. But uh, anyway, uh, we can use the telephone and the computers and all of that to, to help one another and do what God wants us to do today. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time you've given us to study your word. We thank you for all of the blessings that come to us through your scriptures. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we thank you, first of all, for the uh, salvation that you wrought in Saul and made him Paul. And Lord, Paul means little, and he certainly became little in his own eyes, and he, what, he was a giant in the eyes of the early church and even in our eyes today as we read all the wonderful things he wrote for us in your New Testament. We thank you for each other. We thank you for our church. We thank you for Lauren and uh, Joy we thank you for giving us what we need, Lord, to grow. And I pray, Lord, that we might use that to grow in our own lives each day and to glorify you and magnify you with the wonderful salvation that you've brought to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.